The date is June 30th, 1971, and we're watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Welcome to I Used to Like This One. Welcome to I Used to Like This One, the show where we take a look back at movies we remember fondly from our childhood and attempt to look past the nostalgia to see if they still hold up. My name is Sean Wells, and with me, as always, is the Oompa to my Loompa. Hello, I'm Colin Stewart. <laughs> I, you know, I, I tossed around various combinations of the kids, and most of them are just assholes, so I'm like... This one could be fun to just go Oompa to my Loompa, or you're you're you could even just be the Oompa Loompa to my Oompa Loompa. I mean that works as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we are celebrating holy shit the fiftieth anniversary of this movie that happened last month, and we brought back a guest that's been on our show before, the host of one of mine and Colin's favorite short form podcasts, Frankfully Honest. Please welcome back Mr. Frank Driscoll. Frank, welcome. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Colin. I just want to let you know I am very, very pleased to come back on the show. I had so much fun last time we did it when we talked about Blade. And I was happy that you guys invited me back. And I felt a sense of, of goodness. I was like, wow, they tolerated me. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you both very much. I'm, I, and I'm really glad to be here on this particular episode. Well, way to set that bar really low, that tolerance <laughs> is good enough for you. <laughs> now, when I approached you about Blade, you had never seen that movie. When I called you up and said, hey, do you want to do this one with us? You said, oh, hell yes, that's one of my favorites of all time. What is it about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Well, first I can tell you what happened was uh, when you contacted me, Sean, you gave me all these lists of films, the ones you've already worked on, Independence Day, Point Break, and things like that. I was thinking, okay, I've seen Point Break, I could do it. But then right after you said, oh, by the way, we're also thinking of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And the moment you put that, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'll, I'm going to have to go William H. Macy and all y'all said, that is mine. <laughs> so I've been why um, I first discovered the movie when I was very young, as most people do. And yeah. um, at the time, it was the only adaptation of uh, Raoul Dahl's book, which I wouldn't discover until after I saw the movie for the, f for the first time. Oh, and uh, okay. we, we'd have it on video and we'd watch it all the time. Then Tim Burton's version came out with Johnny Depp playing Willy Wonka. Mm -hmm. And I kind of enjoyed that version more as a kid because it related to the book so very well. Mm -hmm. But then as I got older, I kind of seemed to enjoy the aesthetic of the original version, Gene Wilder's performance I preferred over Johnny Depp's. And just the overall story and like the likeness of it i just tend to especially the adult innuendos <laughs> yeah I, I kind of enjoyed it a lot more and now i watch it whenever i can i just love it much to the dismay of my family <laughs> <laughs> so now we i know that you have a little superstition to open all of your own shows with do you want to give us your little good luck uh wrap of your desk over there to start us off here of course let's bring it in <clears throat> Outstanding. So, so this week, we are looking back at June 1971, when the movies in theaters were Carnal Knowledge, The Horror of Frankenstein, 
Shaft, Le Mans, and normally I only do four, but I've got a bonus one here. The Sex Adventures of the Three Musketeers. And of course, our movie for today, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which earned $4.5 million on a $3 million budget. I did take it to the inflation calculator. That's an earnings of about $29.9 million on a $19.9 million budget. So not a huge earner, but definitely a cult classic. Nice. And if you don't want to end up in some morality tale like Veruca Salt, please don't let this movie be spoiled for you. There will be intense spoilers ahead. And if it is spoiled for you, I'm sure that Oompa Loompas will show up in your living room and sing you some song about how bad you are and how terrible you are and how <laughs> you shouldn't you shouldn't listen to movie podcasts <laughs> that spoil movies for you before you watch the movie. I just want to spare you all from that. So if you haven't seen the movie, please hit pause, go watch it, and then come back and hear what we have to say. And seriously, folks, 50 years old, 50th anniversary. Come on. Who hasn't seen this movie? So the tagline that appears on the poster for this movie is, well, I do have a few. First, I've got, it's scrum diddly umptious. I feel like this was submitted by Ned Flanders. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that the name of one of the Wonka bars? It is, yeah, the the weird tube-shaped one, yeah. Uh, Second, I've got, it's everybody's non-pollutionary, anti-institutionary, pro-confectionary factory of fun. Sounds about right. Yeah. (laughs) I like it. Uh, Third, I've got your golden ticket to imagination and adventure. That's the winner. That's the winner right there. (laughs) Yeah. Fourth, I've got Charlie is let loose in the chocolate factory and every kid's dream comes true. Uh, if it involves falling into a chocolate river, then I guess so. <laughs> I feel like only one kid's dream came true in this case, really. Yes. If we want to nitpick. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, uh, the fifth one I have is enter a world of pure imagination. Yeah. I mean, it's in the song, right? The- so can't be wrong the the golden ticket one is still the winner isn't it i think so yeah for the most part (laughs) (laughs) however all of those may not be the best description of the movie so let's go to colin and do a 60 second synopsis here we go when famed Candyman Willy Wonka announces a contest to win a visit to his world-famous chocolate factory, children from all around the globe risk cavities, tummy aches, and obesity eating their way through bars of chocolate in order to find one of five golden tickets. When young Charlie Bucket happens upon the fifth and final ticket, he arouses his bedridden Grandpa Joe and brings him along to Wonka's factory. During the tour, they meet Willy's dwarf army, the Oompa Loompas, and get high on bubbles. After each of the other guests fall victim to candy-related OHS hazards created by their own moral failings and are forced to leave the tour, Wonka finds his champion in Charlie and offers him the whole kit and caboodle once he retires. Will Charlie take all the candy in the world from a strange man he just met? Let's find out on another episode of I Used to Like This One. Right on. Yeah, so Frank touched on this a little bit in the beginning. The remake that came out in 2005... I have to agree with his original sentiments where I think that, especially if you compare it to the book, it is definitely a more faithful adaptation. But man, I like Gene Wilder so much more as Willy Wonka than than Johnny Depp. This is Willy Wonka. I actually just finished reading 
Like literally tonight, I finished reading Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator to my children because we had done them back to back. And it's just kind of funny how reading the books, how I kind of channel Gene Wilder when I'm reading it to them instead of the Johnny Depp. You know, I I like to do voices when I'm doing books. It it makes it a more lively experience. Story time should be special. Yes. With this movie, though, just like Frank, it's one that it's been a staple of my life for as long as I can remember. It's part of my childhood. It's, you know, I, I can remember this movie as far back as I've been. So what about you, Colin? What's your experience with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Well, guys, I'd hate to break your heart, but I have to admit that I don't think I've ever watched this movie the entire way through. Okay. I remember it being on on TBS all the time when I was a kid and kind of just like popping in here and there. But I I think this was actually the first time I truly sat down and watched it. Mm -hmm. I have seen the Johnny Depp version. And I don't know, I find... Less so in this one, but I find Willy Wonka to be such a strange and off-putting character, but even more so in the Tim Burton one. Like, I just found him so creepy that it was yeah. it was hard to, uh, yeah. hard to take. I haven't, I haven't read the book, but I definitely will go read it after watching this movie. One of the most obvious changes from the movie to the book is the goose, the golden goose room. Right. In the book, it is the squirrels, which the Tim Burton ver- version is faithful to. Mm-hmm. I, I did read, though, that Gene Wilder complimented Johnny Depp's performance in this movie, but says that he's never been a fan of Tim Burton. I have to be honest, I kind of agree. I've never been a huge fan of Tim Burton's st- stuff myself. On the other hand, though, he was also insulted that they decided to remake one of his most beloved movies. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially when you consider the power of the condescending Wonka meme and how how much of a legend that has become. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For for the people that couldn't see that, Frank did the putting his hand on his forehead. Everyone has probably received the Wonka condescending meme at one point in their life if they've ever been on social media. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I forgot we were on audio for a second. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, let's jump into Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's directed by Mel Stewart, produced by Stan Margulies and David L. Wolper, and written by David Seltzer and the man himself, Roald Dahl. I'll be honest, I never realized he was actually a writer on this. I was even more surprised to see that Roald Dahl has several screenwriting credits that aren't just things based on his books, like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and the James Bond You Only Live Twice. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it it took me a while after I knew that he was involved with the film because I always knew that he didn't end up liking the final product. No, he hated it. Yeah, like he didn't like Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka. He 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 had a different actor in mind and he kinda had Willy Wonka, you know, as a much more darker character in his in his imagination. Yeah. And it took about fifteen years after his death for his family's estate to actually give Tim Burton the opportunity to do a remake of the Willy Wonka story. Yeah. I just go to show you how much he didn't like it. And I was like, well, if he wrote it, 
there's got to be something in it that he liked. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, it was it was the amount of re- rewrites that David Seltzer did that I guess kind of pushed him over the edge. And that's why they never made Charlie in the Great Glass Elevator is because he was so furious at the outcome. Like he was going to they were going to make his sequel, but he's like, "No, that was that was garbage. We're we're not making that movie. You guys can't have those rights." So, I don't think we'll ever see a Charlie in the Great Glass Elevator. Yeah. You know, I do, do I do remember reading that book. Charlie in the Great Glass Elevator when I was a kid. And I think as I envisioned it, I didn't think I could see a film out of it. Because it just seems so supernatural. Like there's all the space stuff. I mean, the only thing I really remember, and it made me laugh so hard when I read it, was I guess the president was involved and he was on television and he said a bad word. And all the kids at home said it and they all got slapped by their mothers. (laughs) Like That's one of the only parts I remember from that book that made me laugh pretty hard when I read it as a kid. But like the rest of the, I, I don't even remember reading the book besides yeah. that part. Oh, I, and I, I think about it, which goes to show you, it probably wouldn't have been that good of a movie. Yeah. After reading it to my kids, uh, you know, like I said, I just finished reading it to my kids and I didn't remember half of that book as well, but I know that I had read it in the, when I was younger as well, but like the vermicious canids are a big part of that. And they do get mentioned in this movie, but just kind of in passing. What is, what is like the base plot of, of Charlie and the, the glass elevator well they go to get the parents from the house or the grandparents from the house and load the bed into the elevator and then they take off again and willy wonka says they need to get higher and higher to be able to punch back through the roof of the factory and in a moment of distraction from the grandparents, he misses his opportunity to push the button to get them to go back down. And they end up in outer space. Oh. <laughs> and there is a Space Hotel USA is orbiting the planet. And it's this new initiative by the president of the United States that they're going to open the space hotel and... The crew is on their way there now, but the elevator beats them to it. They think that they're some kind of terrorist group. And then they come back and he has a pill that will make the grandparents younger. And they end oh, up that I remember. Of, they end up making one of the grandparents so young that she enters minus land and they have yes. to figure out how to bring her back. Like it's just it's it's all over the place. It really is. Like uh, but yeah. now I remember that. Yeah, it's a space story, a mistaken identity. They come back and then more hijinks ensue. That's, I guess, and yeah, when they're at the space hotel, that's when they encounter the vermicious canids and run because they are vicious. Sounds like sounds like it would make a good uh, like miniseries. Maybe Netflix should pick it up. Well, and it ends in a way that makes you think that there should have been a third book, too. Hmm. So it's a little cliffhangery. I did hear Roald Dahl was about to make a third book, and he only wrote one chapter of it. And oh, I think okay. he just—I think he just literally put it on the shelf until he he passed. And I think it's on display somewhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> do we know? Do we know who he who he had wanted to play Willy Wonka? I do. I I might as well do this now. Yeah, because I have a whole bunch of alternate castings for Willy Wonka I just have to find it in my notes I did hear that uh all six members of Monty Python were on mm-hmm. that list they were all interested they they were the ones campaigning for it mm-hmm. and I heard that uh, coincidentally Eric Idle I think was a choice that Tim Burton on his short list for his remake so it kind of went full circle <laughs> 
That as well. Yeah. Okay. Here are the alternate casting possibilities for Willy Wonka. So Roald Dahl's top choice was someone named Spike Milligan. And wonder, I have wonder what happened no to him. <laughs> yeah, the I, name sounds familiar. Maybe. Hmm. But I feel like I recognize the name as a fictional character from something. So, <laughs> like most of these people, I don't know who they are. I mean, this was also 50 years ago. But Joel Grey was not physically imposing enough. Ron, <laughs> Ron Moody was offered. John Pertwee had a tight schedule because of Doctor Who. I don't know if he was one of the doctors, maybe? I'm not a Doctor Who watcher. Yeah, he, he was. Okay. Yeah. Frankie Howard had a conflict with the movie Up Pompeii. Dudley Moore. Peter Cook, who we know from The Princess Bride. He's the marriage guy in Princess Bride. Michael Crawford. I always thought he was one of the Phantom of the Operas. I think that is him. Yeah. I think oh. he originated the role on on the stage. Yeah he, was, yeah, he was the original Phantom. Okay. Unless there's more than one. Yeah, which is possible. But but I guess, I mean, 10 years later, like, Phantom came out in the mid-80s, so yeah. he wouldn't have been too old, I guess. Because, like, uh, Gene Wilder was 38 in this movie, so that's, I guess, about the age they were looking for for Willy Wonka. Um, let's see, we have Sidney James and Kenneth Williams showed interest in the role. Peter Sellers desperately wanted the role. And like Frank said, all six Monty Python members expressed great interest, but were deemed not big enough international names at the time. But, uh. well, it didn't really hit North America until the mid-70s, because Monty Python was from the late 60s. Yeah. But yeah, as Frank also touched on, interestingly, John Cleese, Eric Idle, and Michael Palin were all considered for the 2005 remake. And Eric Idle is who recorded the audiobook for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Which makes me kind of want to look it up. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I, I looked up Spike Milligan's IMDb. I don't recognize a single thing on it. Okay. But he was working until the year 2000. Okay. He was in, he was in Life of Brian. I've never seen that movie, but he plays somebody named Spike. So I don't know if he was just playing himself. Probably <laughs> inside joke or something. Maybe, yeah. So we open this movie with a very how did this get made opening sequence of chocolates being produced. It's kind of an odd way to set the tone, considering that when we actually see Wonka's factory, there is nothing at all shown in that factory that com would compare to this opening bit of mass producing chocolates. It's just too normal. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, never, I never even thought of that. <laughs> they, ju they just needed some stock footage to uh, open the movie with. I guess, I guess so. so. <laughs> because back then, you used to do like all the credits at the beginning. Right. So first, why don't we discuss the stuff leading up to the factory? I always forget how long all of this is. Like, Willy, Willy Wonka doesn't even show up until about 40 minutes into the movie. I was surprised at that because I was looking at their runtime, and I think it's an hour 40. And mm -hmm. almost like like you're saying, like 45 minutes in, you're not even at the factory yet. And then the stuff at the factory goes by so quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I do also want to say, I ne never think of this movie as a musical, but it yeah. totally is. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I was surprised by that. I also was surprised by, I don't know what the standards were for musical movies back then, but I don't feel like they really got people who could sing necessarily <laughs> like every, everybody sounds like almost 
so basically normal like your grant you're like if your dad just started singing like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I, I mean i and i don't really think it needed to be a musical that's for sure and there's such different tones like i i will say that the oompa loompa songs are fun even though if you want to go lyrically accurate to the book the johnny depp version actually the oompa loompa songs in that are take a lot from the actual yes. lyrics of the book but like i don't understand why the oompa loompa songs get words on the screen and then mm-hmm. there's mom's song which i hate <laughs> you know and candy man like i don't know quite the timeline of candy man being a popular song sung by sammy davis jr mm-hmm. and, and i heard that he wanted to be bill the candy yeah. guy yeah but but yeah, I don't know whether it was after this movie that he started singing this song or whether the song already existed leading up to this movie. And they thought, well, that's perfect. It was after. Okay. Yeah, I guess uh, Sammy Davis's people wanted him to record it because I guess they wanted him to kind of appeal to a younger audience. And he, Sammy Davis didn't like the song at first. He thought okay. it was too sweet and too corny, but it no became his intended. only number one hit. <laughs> Mr. Bojangles wasn't even number one? Surprisingly, no. Huh. As good of a song that is, no. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, I and I, I do. I love pure imagination as well. And like the Golden Ticket song is fun, but it, I think part of that is just the performance of that song with yeah. Grandpa dancing around. Yeah. Oh, and I hate Veruca's song. Her, I'm, I'm a spoiled brat song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I want just, it now. Exactly. I I just don't feel like it needed to be a musical. Like when you look at the remake, the only thing that's musical in that is the Oompa Loompa songs and the Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka. (laughs) (laughs) Right. With with the Candyman song, I I had to laugh watching that one because like Bill, the candy guy, just has such a poor business model as he's throwing candy out to all the kids. And like... Poor Charlie. Poor, poor Charlie yes. is standing, looking through the window. It's like, maybe you should hide in the back, Charlie. You might get some free food out of this. You need food. You're starving. Yeah, yeah you know, that wasn't pointed out until I saw a, uh, a video from the Nostalgia Critic. Because I guess they made a Tom and Jerry cartoon that intertwines with the movie Willy Wonka in a Chocolate Factory. And it was universally panned. Okay. And that's when he points out Charlie is looking inside the candy window, noticing they're giving out candy for free, yet he can't go in for some reason. And I saw that I was like, ah, oh, it's ruined. <laughs> now, have you ever noticed that there's that one part where Bill opens up the counter to let all the kids behind the counter and he actually clocks one of the kids in the face with it? Yes. <laughs> yes. I missed that. Oh, yeah, he gets her right in the chin. And uh, maybe Bill hates kids, or maybe he just <laughs> hates poor kids, and this kid is borderline and almost poor. That's why he takes this one out. But, I mean, yeah. the kid just went with it. Good for that kid. But, <laughs> but Took like, one for the team. Yeah. The other thing about all this opening stuff, though, is the school stuff just all seems so unnecessary. But is the teacher's name Mr. Turpentine? Like, what a great name for a science teacher if it is. It- is that what it said in the in the end? I I didn't write down what it said in the end, but I in my notes I wrote down turpentine because that's what I heard. Oh, it's 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 turkin turpentine. Oh, like okay, okay. <laughs> I don't even remember them saying his name. Just just the once I think when they they're asking questions, but like just yeah, all that school stuff is just so 
I don't know, unnecessary. I mean, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes is when is when they're in class and Turkentine is teaching them uh, fractions and like percentages or whatever. Yeah. And he's a- asked Charlie how much uh, chocolate he had, and he's like two, and he's like two. he's like two. I can't do two. Let's let's say you had two hundred. <laughs> I mean, for a teacher, so, you figured basic math skills would be a, a credential. You'd hope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you just have to do a little more numbers. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's decimal also... place over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's also the same, though, with how heavily they lean on the reporters in this whole opening story. Mm-hmm. Okay, with, with the Augustus Gloop reporter, though, there was this really weird camera framing choice that I'm wondering whether it was intentional, but it looks like he's got antlers out coming out of his head. Yeah. And I was just wondering whether that was intentional. But, but it also, I was wondering how much of this restaurant scene was just a big German stereotype for people that didn't know Germany, like, <laughs> in the 70s. <laughs> But I'm I'm a little fascinated by television news in the early '70s with all the extra desks in the background and yeah, it it was pretty wild because they'd have people on the phone trying to find something to bring up, and then occasionally some guy would have something with huge breaking news, run over to the anchor while he's doing a report and hand it to him, and he'd have to stop whatever the hell he was doing and read it. Yeah, and th- that's so, how it was. I, I I learned a lot of that in in college. So yeah, it yeah, was nice. pretty like it, it was before computer technology. I think it was like hands on. Yeah. yeah. You just got like random tips. Well, and I'm I'm assuming that Slugworth, like the quote unquote Slugworth, I'm assuming his scar was so big and hideous to make him memorable in the background <laughs> of all these scenes, right? <laughs> yeah, like I mean, I think it just serves to make him look so menacing and evil. Yeah, it was it was a real letdown to me when all of a sudden you discover he's just Mr. Wilkinson, of, like. <laughs> <laughs> His assistant. You know what's crazy? I've seen this movie a whole bunch of times, and I think when I thoroughly watched it for this particular program, that was the first time I noticed he had a giant scar on his face. Oh, okay. I never noticed it until now. Huh. And I was like, did did he always have that? (laughs) Just the Mandela effect or something? I don't (laughs) know. Do do I have to clean the screen? Like, (laughs) Rewind it back and to the left. Back into the lift. <laughs> well, and he's got this really weird thing that he's doing with the microphone with Mike TV, where I always love that. Yeah, he's doing this little swish and flick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then and then in like the other scene that just is un is weird filler is the auction scene where they're auctioning off the last case of chocolate bars and it ends with the uh oh your majesty (laughs) (laughs) i I was really hoping they would pan to like the queen just at the at there just stuffing her face with chocolate yeah yeah, and who dares go higher than 5,000 pounds at that point, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, the, the queen's bidding. I don't think you should drive that price up anymore. Yeah. <laughs> don't you feel so bad for the, the lady who finds Veruca's ticket? Yeah. They all, see, they all seem so excited for, for her. <laughs> and then she just gets it stolen from her and given to this bratty kid. She got a one-pound bonus. Yeah. yeah. Great. So there, <laughs> it was a lot of money back then. It would have been. True. Yeah. But, okay, the most batshit crazy, though, of all these opening filler scenes is the one where where the woman whose husband is being held hostage, 
And, right. and yes. the kidnappers demand her case of chocolate bars. Like, the tone is so weird. Like, first of all, it feels like a movie within a movie. Like, it feels yeah, like all of a totally. sudden it should be a movie someone's watching. But then, you know, it ends with the, how long do I have to think it over? <laughs> I felt like it was a commer- it was almost a commercial. Like it seemed like a <laughs> like a fast food com- like a some sort. Of, I feel like fast food companies have taken that tactic in their commercials. Yeah, it felt like UHF is what it felt like. Yeah, where it just all of a sudden you're watching a commercial for Gandhi two or whatever, you know. But then of course there is also the quote unquote high tech computer scene. I love seeing how little people knew about computers fifty years ago. That's my favorite interlude yeah. in between all of that, because I just love how he's so proud of it. And the computer is so smart that it won't tell him Yeah, <laughs> because it's unethical. It would be cheating. Yeah. And he's just punching the three buttons back and forth. All Now I'm telling it to do this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets so mad. He's like, I'll tell you exactly what you could do with a lifetime supply of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I always love that one. <laughs> but. That computer, boy, I tell you, it's a Siemens System 4004, and I think that means it's time for Sponsorship Corner! So, always on the lookout for product placements in movies this week, I was actually kind of surprised. I was expecting almost no sponsors, but there are actually several here. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is brought to you by Siemens and Philips Electronics, Volkswagen, Mercedes-Benz, and BMW Cars, Vogue Magazine, Camel Filter, and Reem... Oh, Reemt... Reemt Sma Ernte 23 Cigarettes. Martini and Rossi brand Vermouth, Pan America and Lufthansa Airlines, The Daily Chronicle, Cadbury, and Coca-Cola. Plus, special shout out to the fictional companies of Slugworths, Ficklebruber, Salt's Peanuts, Beauregard's Used Autos, and of course, Wonka. And this has been Sponsorship Corner. I really had to laugh when I saw the Cadbury sign, which happened to be right outside Bill's candy Uh. store, but not on Bill's candy store. There's like a little sandwich board to the left as Charlie approaches the door. And I'm like, ah, Cadbury, nice job. (laughs) To add to all the sponsorship talk, I was reading that uh, the movie was heavily financed by the Quaker Oat Company because they were going to develop Wonka chocolate. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the reason why they named the film Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory and not Charlie in the Chocolate Factory so they can promote the chocolate. As it turns out, when they put the chocolate on the shelves, it would melt mm-hmm. really quickly. Uh, yeah, I, I did read that fact as well. And then they ended up selling the Wonka name they sold to Sunline Incorporated, who then started selling candy under the Wonka name like Everlasting Gobstoppers. And nerds, I believe nerds yeah, are. Yeah, nerds. I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, and are those little fizz candies, the ones that come in the bubble packs, are those are those Wonka too? They might be. I don't know. Uh, they they do have several candies though. I think gob gobstoppers. Yeah, yeah gobstoppers. 
Yeah, the everlasting gobstoppers. But I mean, at least they're not shaped like fucking jacks in this movie. Yeah. It, it, when, when you buy them for real, those would not be fun to suck on forever. I mean, it's like, really? It's not going to get any smaller. It's not going to get round on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, let's let's meet some kids. First, we've got we meet our German stereotyped fat kid Augustus Gloop, played by Michael Bolner, and this is his only acting credit. We've got spoiled brat Veruca Salt, played by Julie Dawn Cole. This is her debut. She does have 49 credits total, mostly British. <laughs> Veruca, by the way, is a medical term for wart. Right. Right. They, they mentioned that in the book. That's true. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And I think in the, in the Tim Burton thing, they do too. Oh, they might. Yeah. Okay. If I can remember. We've got avid gum chewer Violet Beauregard, played by Denise Nickerson, who has 15 total credits ending in 1978. I just, I liked looking at these kids to see if they actually went on to anything. Denise Nickerson, though, she probably had one of the biggest careers because she was in 72 episodes of Dark Shadows and 130 episodes of The Electric Company. Wow. But I, I read that she got 13 cavities from all the gum that she had to chew. They, they said that the gum was sugar free, but Back in 1971, sugar-free wasn't quite the same as it is today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably not as good. <laughs> yeah. Is it Seinfeld that has the episode with the uh, fat-free yogurt? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they, they take it to a lab, right, to see if it was really fat-free or not. Yeah. <laughs> and they drive the guy out of business. <laughs> But when they filmed her blueberry scene, she had to stay in the costume for several hours and they would turn her over occasionally to keep her blood circulation flowing properly. <laughs> like, that's got to be a rough day for, for that actress. Painted blue and stuck in, like, basically an inflatable sumo suit. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching an interview with her on uh, on the Blu-ray the Blu-ray copy that I have. They have interviews with all the kids, and she was saying that it was really difficult for the the guys playing the Oompa Loompas to move her because, like, in that suit, she was bigger than them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, a lot of times they would push her through the door and then just lose control of her, and mm-hmm. she would just there was like a metal there was she would just like basically roll down this like ramp into a wall <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> Did they ever hit her head against the door frame? Though? Yeah, and she said that oh, too. Okay. They hit the, and okay. it was a steel door. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> Finally, out of these Golden Winter kids, we also have Mike TV, played by Paris Themen, who has five total credits, and Gene Wilder called, quote, a handful. <laughs> yeah. It's on uh, that same documentary they cut to Gene Wilder and he was like he's like, I love you now, but on that movie you were a you were a evil boy. <laughs> you know, I did read that uh or actually I noticed Paris Thamon was actually a contestant on Jeopardy a couple of years ago. Oh, was he? Oh, really? And it, it wasn't until people noticed the name Paris Thamon, diehard fans noticed like, wait a minute, that's not and it turns out it was. <laughs> huh. Nice. Yeah. How did he do? Uh, he came in second. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't help but notice. So for anyone that hasn't read the book, he does sign his name on the contract TV, whereas it's actually spelt T-E-E-V-E-E. Right. So I, I guess he was told to just sign TV by the director to make it move along faster. <laughs> mm-hmm. Possibility. <laughs> 
But he also has uh, some in, an interesting moment where he says he wants a Colt 45 and his dad says, not till you're 12, son. What terrible parents. All the parents actually are just terrible, except for Charlie's mom. Like, is that intentional that the parents are just as bad as the kids? I thought so. I felt like it's kind of dis- it's kind of the like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree type mm-hmm. scenario. Like the movie's just full of moral lessons. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do wonder about the directorial choice, both in this movie and in the Tim Burton one, to only have one parent come along, though. Because in the book, each kid is allowed to bring two grown-ups, but Charlie only brings Grandpa for some reason. Right. Yeah, and Charlie's dad is alive in the book, which is something that's accurate to the Tim Burton. I guess that's the other big thing you need to know, Colin, about the Tim Burton one for accuracy to the book is, yeah, okay. Charlie's dad is alive and works in a toothpaste factory screwing on the lids. In the book, do all the grandparents live in one bed? Yep. Yes. Yep. They sure do. That's probably my most... I mean, I've always remembered that he had grandparents in a bed. It wasn't until this, watching it this time, where I realized he has two sets of grandparents. Yeah. All in in one bed. Yeah. Which seems... That has to be a... Like, how do you... How do you make that work? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And the other three grandparents barely get any screen time in this and it's funny because grandpa george is one of the more fascinating out of all the actors in that bed grandpa george was actually nearly blind because of some sort of poison gas that he encountered in world war ii and they had to shine a red light on set so that he knew where to look And he also had this pair of shoes that were one of his most prized possessions from before the war. And he still had them in 1971. And he would refuse to leave them like in his dressing room or, you know, so he would bring them onto set and hide them under the bed. And when they did the You've Got a Golden Ticket song, the director said, we have to move your shoes. They're in the shot. And he was so worried about them taking away his shoes. Like, he fought them for a while on it. And they're like, no, we, we swear we'll take good care of them. You know, but they, they, they're in the shop. We got to get them out of there. So, like, George, like, and I don't think he has a single line. But, like, this yeah. guy is, like, not really, the no. most fascinating actors on that set, I think. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so, That's of course. Amazing. We've also got our our hero for the movie, Charlie Bucket, played by Peter Ostrom, whose only acting credit is this movie. He's a veterinarian now. In fact, I read that when Gene Wilder died, he changed his social media profile to say, former child actor, veterinarian, inherited a chocolate factory on the 29th of August, 2016. That's a, that's a fitting tribute. <laughs> nice. I think so, yeah. So it was kind of funny when you were talking about Paris Themen on... Uh, jeopardy that it's kind of like oh well you know this is this is how charlie stayed in the limelight after he became a vet i did read that uh i i think that peter ostrom gets about 36 dollars a year in royalties from the movie (laughs) wow Wow. good negotiating (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, he also went through puberty while filming this movie, which is why I've got a golden ticket. He, he's he got a much higher voice than he does at the end because they actually did film this movie somewhat sequentially as far as I, I know. Okay, let me just say, more than anything, watching the grandparents and Charlie and his mom, I wanted to run a comb through their hair. They've all got the worst cotton candy hair going. 
you know, and I guess it matches Willy Wonka towards the end, but like mom's hair is the worst in that, in that scene where she's stewing the clothes in the giant pot before she sings her song. Is that a wig? Like that is some terrible hair that she's going on. Or can you even picture it in your mind at this point? Like, I don't know whether it's because she's working around steam and hot laundry or what, but it's, it's some bad hair. I gotta say, I didn't. I didn't take note, but on my second watch, I, I'll make sure to to <laughs> see how their how their stylist did on the movie. Maybe they didn't have a stylist for for this movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Oh, here's another thing that they uh, changed from the book as well is the fact that Charlie has a job. I, I don't quite understand him having the paper route because, like this, him getting this chocolate bar is supposed to be such a huge deal. He gets one chocolate bar a year on his birthday. That first chocolate bar, though, that's totally a wagon wheel, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is that what you guys call it up in Canada? Yeah. Yeah. Because I thought of it as a moon pie. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what a moon pie yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Or at least that's what it looked like to me. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. Like wagon, wagon wheels, are they have like the... They're like marshmallow on like mm-hmm. a wafer covered in chocolate. Is that the same as a moon pie? At the moon pie. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, I know I listened to the Office Ladies podcast and they talked about that episode where they go to Winnipeg and they were talking about the old Dutch chips that were in the background and yeah. Jenna Fisher was so shocked about the ketchup chips that we have in Canada and the dill pickle chips in Canada. <laughs> now, I know, I do know that ketchup chips are something that you can't find or you can hardly ever find in the States. But I didn't know that dill pickle was an unusual flavor for the Americans. I guess really depending on where you look, because I've seen it a few times. Okay. Well, at least I've seen pickle at least, but... I don't know if dill pickles specifically the same, or at least the ones we have. <laughs> I, I I've seen Lay's pickle chips all the time. Okay, like I, I I've seen it before, but maybe depending on whereabouts you are in the country, you might not be able to find it. Yeah, I always thought it was. I always thought it was all dressed chips that were hard to find in the states. Well, yeah, that too. That, that too. too. But yeah. what's funny is that uh, the business that I work for, their generic brand, just started selling all dressed chips. Okay. And I saw it. I was like, I have to get a bag of that. Yeah. <laughs> and I tried it. I liked it. Wasn't bad. It, it, it was delightful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's there, a lot of there, flavors, but they, they all go together very well. <laughs> yeah. There's there's nothing better in my mind right now than an old old Dutch. But they up here, anyways, they have like the baked old Dutch chips. Yeah. And those baked old Dutch ketchup chips are the most amazing potato chip I've ever had in my entire life. See, and and I like the I like the baked dill pickle ones. Yeah, those, those ones, those are ones good I too. think are really good too. Yeah, we, we might we might have to do a candy exchange with you though, Frank, because yeah. like I I know for example what you guys call Smarties in the states we call rockets, and we do have a candy called Smarties, which is similar to an M M&M, and M, but dare say much better. I, I I like I'm a smarty man over an M M&M and M man. Thank yeah. you. I love Smarties. M and M's are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, the M and M is such a darker chocolate, whereas the Smartie has it's a candy coated shell, but it's got like a melt chocolate inside, which is yeah. just it's it's a much nicer blend. Yeah. So here's here's something I don't understand 
when it comes to them with their chocolate bars later grandpa joe who is played by jack albertson and interestingly his third last movie is something called charlie and the great balloon race i found that interesting Hmm. (laughs) But, but but grandpa gets him that secret second chocolate bar with the money that charlie gave him for pipe tobacco okay firstly there's such passion over this tobacco Right? <laughs> like, no, no yeah. I quit, Charlie. You shouldn't be paying for my tobacco habit. Secondly, how does Grandpa Joe get that chocolate bar? Because it says yeah. so in this movie that he hasn't been out of bed for 20 years. And this scene with Charlie, he seems to be conspiring so much in this moment. I don't think mom bought that chocolate bar for him. Yeah, you know, I didn't think about that scene that much because, you know, here's another difference from the book and the Tim Burton film there actually explains that like grandpa actually hands him money said go to the store get one we'll open it together true yeah that didn't happen there so that got me thinking how the hell did he get it mm-hmm. and I still can't figure it out <laughs> <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. know <laughs> but then later uh we've got Charlie finds the money in the street and goes to buy his chocolate bar with it. And and this is where we find out that Bill the Candy Guy only demands payment from poor people instead of all the rich kids he was throwing candy out to. And and then, like, chastises Charlie for eating it too fast. (laughs) It's like, don't tell me how to do my job. (laughs) I'm going to eat this chocolate bar how I want to. You try eating cabbage water. You see how it is. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I didn't understand. At one point, I feel like Charlie says he doesn't really like chocolate. And then, and then in that scene where he goes and buys the scrum diddly umptious, he just powers through it. Well, but the scene you're talking about is in school, and there he's embarrassed by the fact oh, that yeah. Yeah, all the kids oh, would, oh, right, oh right, you right, only right, bought right, two? Right. Oh, I don't like chocolate. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I do also love how when he steps out of the store, there's just so much aggression at the nearby newsstand to get newspapers. I, I just can't imagine this time. I can't imagine 50 years ago where everyone's, oh, no, give me a paper. Get me a paper. But the the picture, because this is where we find out that there's a fifth winner and it's the hoax one. And the picture that they use for the fifth winner is Martin Bormann, who was Hitler's private secretary. And there were always rumors persisting that he was hiding in South America. So that's why it's like somewhere in Brazil, they, they found this fifth chocolate. And that's the picture they used. Like, it's sort of like an Elvis is still alive kind of uh, joke. But then a year later, they did find his remains in Berlin. So it was, he was declared dead after this movie came out. But, but yeah, I just I thought that's, that is such a random inside joke to put into a movie. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, when we find out that this fifth ticket was a forgery, our boy Charlie has actually bought the winning chocolate bar. And when he unwraps it, does he just throw that chocolate away? (laughs) Because he looks at the ticket and he's holding it with both hands. You aren't wealthy enough to just throw food away, Charlie. (laughs) I mean, maybe like he said earlier, I bet the gold makes the chocolate taste terrible. But still, like, dude, did you just drop that? At least put it in your pocket. Save it for later. (laughs) You're you're still hungry. It's actually kind of a weird, the Wonka contest almost ends up being kind of a, like it it makes the company a lot of money, but it wastes so much product. Yeah. Because like Veruca's family bought, I don't know, a thousand (laughs) boxes probably for one ticket. It yeah. didn't look like anybody was eating that chocolate. Nope. Yeah. 
And it seems like people are just like buying chocolate by the box full, just looking for tickets without actually consuming any of it. (laughs) But how do the golden tickets work? Like, do they include airfare? Because if Charlie had been in a city other than the one where the factory was, there's no (laughs) way he would have been able to get there on his own dime. Yeah. So we get our famous run home where he's stopped by the creepy Slugsworth asking him to steal an everlasting gobstopper and when that happens it doesn't even phase charlie like there's not even a glance over his shoulder of like what 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 the fuck just happened like <laughs> yeah he just he stops for slugworth slugworth does his little spe- evil speech and then he just keeps running home like <laughs> that scene where he where he gets surrounded by the mob who who is telling him to hold on to the ticket and run away the newspaper guy yeah because it's his boss yeah oh okay i didn't i didn't put that together yeah i do love the the family guy send up of this with the Pawtucket brewery golden ticket contest right (laughs) run home peter and don't stop until you get there and that became such a running gag that they still use it to this day yeah (laughs) where he he trips and he's holding his knee all that time. Ah. Yes. Ah. <laughs> so, yeah, he gets the ticket home. We get our little musical numbers. And it's revealed that the prize is for tomorrow, October 1st. I'm not sure why they changed this from the book because it's February 1st in the book. Do you think that's just because they were on too much of a budget to simulate winter like they do in the Tim Burton one? Because Tim Burton one does take place in the snow. Right. That's a, that's a possibility. Yeah. Makes sense. Don't you think it feels like a slap in the face to Charlie's mom that he chooses his grandfather to go with him? The guy that hasn't been out of bed in 20 years. It's like, no, mom, you you go back to the laundromat and (laughs) I'll just take grandpa here. Yeah. If I I was Charlie, I would have just taken my mom because I wouldn't have wanted to have to pick from my four grandparents who are all just laid up. (laughs) That too. Yeah. I mean, maybe because he's the only one that actually got out of bed. But yeah, he only ever talks to Grandpa Joe. The other grandpas just seem so that's dull. True. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, Grandpa George would have been a poor choice to go. He he was almost blind. So <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe winning the golden ticket would have restored his sight. Maybe. <laughs> there might have been something in the inventing room. Well, let's get let's go to the chocolate factory. Let's meet Willy Wonka, played by Gene Wilder. Who? <laughs> it's funny. I read that when he was offered the part, that one of his stipulations was that he would be able to do this somersault when we meet Willy Wonka, and that yeah. he actually worked with two stuntmen for two weeks to get it right. <laughs> That's <laughs> your caveat, like. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty surprised when I found out that he wanted to do that. Yeah. And I think it really showed a real commitment to the enigma mm-hmm. of Willy yeah. Wonka. So I think he he probably knew what he was dealt with and he wanted to find a way to figure it out. Just go to show you how smart of a guy he was in terms of movies he did. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And when he pokes his walking stick into the ground, that's actually a styrofoam brick that they made so that it would stick like that. And it's just kind of like, okay, so like you went to all the trouble of creating like the special effect. And, you know, this was your the demand of your star actor just for this one little somersault. But I love his introduction. Like it's stuck with me for all these years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I read that Willy Wonka's costume sold at an auction in 2012 for $74,000. Oh, nice. Ah. <laughs> so, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory is a horror movie, right? Because this is where it starts to get super creepy 
disguised by whimsy, you know? Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, there's the one moment earlier where Charlie is looking through the gates and that guy comes up with the cart that has all these knives dangling from it. Who is that guy? <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> Is he a guy in the book? No, he's uh. not. Because that's all done by the narrator is the one that describes what's going or the backstory. So you don't need a character like that. But yeah, it's just who is that guy? But like, I just I just realized watching it that with just a few minor tweaks, this could be a full fledged horror movie. Oh yeah, I, I like, guarantee you, there's like a, a YouTube recut somewhere. Yeah, and you know, I have been watching a bit of theories, and they point out. Have you noticed that the boat only has enough room for nine people? Yeah, and, and not eleven people. Yeah, and, and the how the Waka wash. wash machine has room for four and not eleven. Yeah, yeah. And I was watching that. I was like, oh dear God. <laughs> yeah, I have seen that, and that's one of those things that makes me think about that. Like, there's this one shot when he's in the inventing room and he turns on the gum machine, where they show him just staring through all these things that are moving up and down on the machine, and it's like it gave me real shining vibes, like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, what's with what's with the tunnel? I did I did not I did not understand the tunnel at all with the no. chicken. They literally show a chicken get its head yeah. chopped off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Straight up horror movie. And and then there's also like just all his reactions of oh no stop or oh come yeah. back don't don't touch that oh and how how he's so apathetic when he says it all. Mm-hmm. Like it makes me wonder: Does he push Augustus into the Chocolate River? <laughs> yeah, I always maybe... kind of thought he did, but then when you look closely, you no, know, just right when he gets behind him, that's when he falls in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The other thing that made me question what kind of man he is is at the end when they go into his office and his decoration is all things cut in half. I don't understand that at all. Like <laughs> I know, I know the director said that the ending of the movie it would be so disappointing to end in a regular office, but I don't understand how they came up with this idea <laughs> of let's just cut everything in half. Like, yeah, um, I did read that Mel Stewart did decide to cut everything in half because I guess when they looked at the office, it looked so nice, and they're like, this could not match Willy Wonka's personality at all. Yeah. So they, I guess the, the only thing that came to mind was, let's cut all the furniture in half. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, that's what happened. You know, I always thought it meant something. Like it was like a <laughs> some kind of heartbreak or separation or something. But no, no, everything's just cut in half. Yeah. yeah. For no reason. So as he's meeting all the kids, there is a moment where he compliments Veruca's mink coat and does this little stroke of it with his hand. And I got to say, his hand placement made me a little uncomfortable. He's... Uh, <laughs> It was a little high up for, for my tastes. But when when he gets them in the chocolate room, boy, does he look so content and joyful when he's singing that Pure Imagination song. And, you know, I, I can give some of the songs a hard time for like, ah, oh, why is Mom's song here? Why is Veruca's song here? And you didn't give any of the other kids a song. But like, yeah, when he sings Pure Imagination, there's just so much joy in this song and in this whole scene. Even though the room probably stunk, because from what I heard, they used real chocolate and milk in the chocolate river to get the color just right. And first it came out like blood red. So it's like, well, there's your horror movie right there. But yeah, by the end of the sh- filming these scenes, yeah, apparently it stunk pretty <laughs> bad <That's nasty. laughs> because of the cream. 
yeah, use paint or something, you know? Like, <laughs> in the interview I watched, Gene Wilder said, like, he always gets asked by people, you know, what in, what in the room is real? Like, what is really candy and what's not? Yeah. He said the suckers, the sucker, those big suckers are actually real candy. Yeah. But people always ask him about the teacup, yeah. like where he drinks the tea and then he eats it. And the teacup is not real. It's not, yeah. it's not candy. It's wax. Mm-hmm. And he was <laughs> like, that to me is one of, the, I was like, man, I watched it again and I was like, you are like a great actor. To be able to eat wax for one, but then just ma- like even bite like it's actually cracker or something like that. And yeah. not want to puke. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I could not do it. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> when Augustus gets sucked up into the pipe, they get into the boat, they take off. And I, I read that the Oompa Loompa that was playing the boat driver thought that he was actually driving the boat. And the director just didn't tell him anything different <laughs> because like, he was believing it. And so... <laughs> <laughs> like the boats are actually on a track just... <laughs> i get the guy's hopes up i mean yeah j- just tell him yeah you're staring at you're doing a good job <laughs> well see I-, I read that they couldn't find they filmed in germany and they couldn't find enough little people in germany to fill out the oompa loompas that they needed so they had to go to nearby countries and so a lot of the oompa loompas they all didn't speak the same language but i heard that they were also huge partiers like they would go and tear it up every night. But the fact that they don't speak English, that's why when you watch some of them lip syncing during the Oompa Loompa songs, it looks like some of them don't actually know the words. They're just kind of, they're just doing the old watermelon, watermelon thing. <laughs> yeah, so. That thing with the boat reminds me of uh, the Booze Cruise episode of The Office where Dwight's annoying the captain and he sends him out oh, yeah. to like captain the <laughs> ship and make sure they don't run into any icebergs. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Do you want us to run astern? <laughs> so good. So in the inventing room, there were a couple of little puns that I've never really noticed before. I'm embarrassed to say that I noticed them for the first time on this viewing. But like when he sticks the soccer shoes in the one vat because he says it needs a kick. And I'm like, how have I never heard this pun before? Oh my god. Or or the one where he puts the coat in the vat because it's too cold. Like, I've just never picked up on the things happening in this inventing room. And another thing that I noticed for the first time ever is there's the part where Mike TV decides to touch something and he gets blown backwards. And when mom runs over to see if he's okay, he blows smoke out of his mouth. Even though I noticed this for the first time, him blowing the smoke out of his mouth, I also realized that it was coming from, like, behind his mouth. They must have had, like, a little smoke machine (laughs) set up. It's like when, on Saturday Night Live, when they do one of the big throwing up scenes or something, where they, it's obviously a tube and you guys sleep, right? Yeah, that's what what this made me think of. What what do you think snozberries taste like? Snot. Snot. (laughs) (laughs) I, I heard that the wallpaper did taste terrible. Right, but like, I heard that too. I've always wondered what a snozberry is. <laughs> is it an actual berry? Like, uh, is it an no, actual fruit? Think, no, I don't think it is. No, I, I think I think it's one that's mentioned in the books. It, it yes. might be. Yeah, I, I will say that I love when they go out of the factory in the elevator, and we get this beautiful shot of the town because that town is like circular. I've heard that that town is built in a crater. Munich, which I, really. I don't think it's even Munich. I, I don't think that shot of the town is Munich. Oh, okay. I just think all the interior stuff was shot in Munich. Like, that's where the sound stages were. Oh. 
But yeah, when, when they blast through that ceiling, there's the line that Grandpa Joe has of, but the roof is made out of glass. We'll be cut to ribbons. But that elevator, it's got a pointy gold top on yes. it. It's, it's not made out of glass. I didn't really understand the, the elevator. Is that the goal all the time to just bust through your roof? No, because that's the button that he's never pushed before. He's pushed okay. all the other b- buttons because they take him to other places in the factory. But yeah. the up and out button is one he's never pushed. Right. Hmm. So another horror moment. How about the uh, fizzy lifting drinks when they're <laughs> going, going towards, towards the fan of death with the incredibly smooth sides? Uh, <laughs> I'll admit I never cared for that part. Yeah, because it like fills you with anxiety or it's just it's well, like that. <laughs> Okay. That and just like, you know, it, it kind of sickens me that just they did it. Charlie and Grandpa and not everybody else. <laughs> yeah. But, but you, you've got to give them that reason to freak out at the end, though. You know, right. Say, yeah. They broke That's the true. rules. Yeah. And like, he gets super scary in that moment. You know, and then he's got the line, though, after he yells at them and with his, you lose. Good day, sir. I said good day. But then... Charlie gives back the gobstopper and he has the line of so shines a good deed in a dreary world. You win, Charlie. What, what's with how much he quotes things throughout this movie? Like he speaks German at one point. I forgot to write down what the German translation of what he says is, but. Yeah, he yeah. speaks German at one point. He, doesn't he speak French at another? Yeah. yeah. But I think there's a lot of like Shakespearean quips. Yeah, he has all the best lines, though. I mean, for sure. And so yeah. well delivered. I mean, like, there's the, the part where on the boat where Violet says spitting is a terrible habit and she's got her finger in her nose and he says, I know a worse one. Yeah. <laughs> I like that one. Is this some kind of fun house, Wonka? Why? Are you having fun? Like, One of my favorites was when Augustus is going up the pipe. His mother's like, he can't swim. He's like, well, there's no better time to learn. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or or even better than that though is the part where he she, he says the suspense is terrible. I hope it lasts. <laughs> and I always liked when he was so adamant, like that pipe doesn't go in a marshmallow room; it goes in a fudge room. Yeah, yeah. Or don't lose your head. We wouldn't want that yet. It's a horror movie. I tell you, it's a horror movie. Children are disappearing like rabbits. That's another thing he says at one point, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Children. Help, police, murder. Uh, a few of the effects, I will say, though, didn't quite hold up. You know, like the... When, when Mike TV gets shrunk, you can see the platform that he's standing on in the giant oversized TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did still appreciate whatever effect they use for the uh, to when the sh- when the elevator goes out over the town. It just looks like a thimble being swung on like fishing line over some pictures in the background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I thought I still thought it was kind of cool. It's like Plan Nine from Outer Space special effects or something. <laughs> I figured above anyone else, Frank would definitely catch an Ed Wood reference. He's an old soul. <laughs> actually, I, I actually have not seen that movie. I know okay. of it. Okay. And I know that it's one of the worst movies of all time. Yes. In terms of like production and things like that. But it, it, it's on my watch list. <laughs> yeah. From what I've heard, The Room, and I haven't seen that one, but I've heard that that is kind of the new Plan 9 from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, this movie, it does end with the moment of Willy Wonka saying, 
And again, I mean, this could go back to the horror movie. An adult would want to do things their way, not mine. I can't go on forever. I don't even want to try. He was 38. Like, I'm wondering if there's a dark backstory here with Wonka. Like, he's got terminal cancer or something like that. And it's like, oh, I'm 38. Now's the time that I have to be looking at my mortality. But then he ends with, you know, what you know what happened to the man that got everything he wanted, Charlie? No, what, what is it? Frank, you must know it. Don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he ever wanted. He lived happily ever after. There we go. And that is Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Now, Colin, Frank, on IMDb, it has scored 7.8 out of 10, and it has a meta score of 67. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has 90% on the tomato meter and an audience rating of 87%. But Colin... Those are just numbers. Like a Veruca salt falling down a trash compactor? No, I don't like that one. <laughs> like a great glass elevator bursting through the ceiling of a chocolate factory. Hit us with some reviews. All right. This first review, I have a couple from Google here. The first review comes from Araya Barnes. Five out of five stars says... This movie cheers me up anytime I'm sad. Yes, it does stray a little from the book, but it strays in the best way. Whereas the 2006 version is a little bit cheesy and creepy, this 1971 version has a magic to it. There is something dreamy, beautiful, and wonderful about it. The actors, actresses, quotes, songs, maybe it sounds like I am rambling, but it's just that good. It's my favorite movie, Heart. Okay. Elias Griswold says, 5 out of 5 stars, all caps... Five exclamation points. It's so good. It teaches you the importance to not be greedy and has a very important lesson. I also just like old movies like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, the old-fashioned Star Wars, and this. I definitely recommend it for family movie night or just watching a movie in general. But one thing I think about now is, are all those children just dead? Like, what happened to them? Well, that's all. <laughs> definitely recommend this movie. One person found this helpful. <laughs> well, you know, at least uh, that person recognized that they never do show what happens to the kids, whereas the remake does show that, okay, yes. yeah, he got taffy pulled and she got juiced and everything, yeah. Yeah. The next one is Leon Trotsky says, <laughs> This movie is amazing, but all caps, not for kids. It's extremely dark and twisted, and would leave anyone disturbed for life, let alone a child. It has little to do with the book, which makes it even better, as it's pretty original. The original book was pretty dark as well, but nothing like this. Very good movie, but the G rating is deceiving. If it was made these days, in terms of psychological grimness, it may almost receive an R rating. This film is known for its popular theory that Willy Wonka ate the children that failed the tour of the factory. And the movie <laughs> does nothing to show that this is untrue. <laughs> Doesn't he specifically say that he would make the fudge taste terrible? <laughs> oh, he he did say that in the Tim Burton one. I, oh, I remember. Okay. okay. My dad was like, can you imagine Augustus flavored chocolate coated gloop? No one will buy it. <laughs> All right. The next one is from Mike Calicott. He says, pretty good movie. Jack Albertson played a pretty whack role of Grandpa Joe. Guy managed to prank his whole family by laying in bed for years upon years, not bringing in any income and forcing young children to work to account for his needs. Pure socialism. <laughs> Otherwise, pretty good movie. A lot of chocolate. Four out of five. Some whack scenes with little people. 
I think like 10 kids disappeared. Five out of five. Might end up watching it again sometime soon. This time with the lights on, eight out of ten. <laughs> I'm kind of Ryland... surprised of the high reviews, despite all the dark stuff they're mentioning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You have two more. Rylan Grimmy or Grim gave it five out of five stars, says, It is an excellent movie. I adore everything about. Why? Well, the casting is perfect. Gene Wilder was the perfect pick for the part. Thank goodness Johnny Depp as Willy Wonka with all the daddy issues was not in this one. Unlike the unbearable Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The songs were good and nothing was too over the top except the boat scene. But despite this evidence towards this one being better, some people actually think Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the best. They must like lying to themselves. (laughs) Okay. Elliot Eck, 1 out of 5 stars, says... I think Willy Wonka is a monster, only caring about himself and not the fatal murders of the other kids. Why does he put these kids in mortal danger? For entertainment and food? That's right. You know in the book when he said that joke about the one kid getting chopped up into fudge? What if I told you he was being serious? The reason Augustus is so skinny at the end of the book is because they chopped giant layers of fat off him and sold them to the public in the form of candy bars. He also was seen in the great glass <laughs> elevator eating Charlie's earwax. And if you want even more disgusting stuff, look no further than Mike TV. It is confirmed in the books that he is a mob boss and has murdered 7,000 people, and there's Easter eggs to this in the movie. Also, Charlie has a gun. One star. <laughs> okay. What? Well, why does Charlie have a gun? What? I don't know. Like, Mike has a gun, a cap gun. He's not old enough for the Colt forty-five. We found out. Does Charlie have a gun in the book? No. Oh. He doesn't have much of anything. Does mm. <laughs> I found I found one more review that I don't know what what's going on here, but it's from a guy named Hunter Young, and he says. This is the best anime ever. I usually don't watch much anime. The most I watch is Shrek, Bohemian Rhapsody, Family Feud, Jeopardy, Creed, Rocky IV, Wheel of Fortune, and Narc. This anime nailed it in many spots of the movie thanks to live-action anime characters Gene Wilder, Jack Albertson, and Peter Ostrom. In conclusion, best anime, 10 out of 10, must watch. Very amazing. What is going on? I think my brain just exploded. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, 17 people found it helpful, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and the normal ones, only one person found helpful. My God! <laughs> uh, that's a good one to end on, I'll say. <laughs> it's funny, while you were doing reviews, <laughs> I found something online. <laughs> And it's called it's called Rated R Willy Wonka, and it's a six and a half minute video, and they have recut Willy Wonka. (laughs) Oh my god! I'm gonna I'll I'll post this on our social media, but they've done special effects to change the outcomes. And so, as I was watch letting it play there while you were doing your reviews, yeah, I saw Augustus Gloop explode. In the tube, <laughs> and my TV get cooked by microwaves. Oh my god, that is awesome! I will post that. Well, okay, so Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. We've got uh, seven point eight and sixty seven from uh, IMDb, and ninety percent and eighty seven from Rotten Tomatoes. Boy, does Rotten Tomatoes love this movie? Frank, 
You love this movie? You still love this movie? How do you feel about where would you rank it? Oh, I still feel good about this movie. I yeah. no, no matter its flaws, no matter its uh, creepiness, no matter whatever, I still love it. And I'm always going to love it. Yeah. And uh, usually when it comes to my rating scale, I do the Roger Ebert scale, which is zero to four. I could give it a five, but that would be not right. <laughs> so I got to give it four. It's a good egg. <laughs> it's a good egg yeah i love that part too where it's like what happens if you break one why an omelet fit for a king sir that's a good line yeah i i definitely got a kick out of once i started kind of looking at this as a horror movie while i was watching it because you know it's it's fun to watch it with a different lens on our eyes we definitely discovered that back when we did point break is watching it with the filter of fast and the furious you know all of a sudden it's like it's a much different movie but i enjoyed it i got to watch this with my kids we read the book and then we watched both movies and like i said the tim burton one is more faithful to the book but you can't beat gene wilder you know it's i love it the the music that they do have even though the lyrics are more faithful in the other one, the Oompa Loompa songs are more fun in this. And I could have done without a couple of the songs. Like that that Cheer Up Charlie song, I I can't stress enough how much that just bored me on this watch. But, <laughs> you know, but yeah, for me, it's 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 a nostalgic 85. You know, it's 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 one I love and I'm glad that I got to see it with my kids and have my son point out a couple of those things. It was actually my eight-year-old son. A couple of my notes, a couple of the questions that I had come up were because of him. Not the horror ones, but yeah, a couple of the things that I mentioned were actually his observations, and I was quite proud with what he noticed. Now, what about you, Colin? You've never watched it all the way through. It's kind of like me and Sound of Music. I know I've seen probably all of it, but never all in one sitting. What do you, now that you have the whole picture, what do you think of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I liked it. It's it's definitely weirder than I had thought it would be. There's certain things where, kind of like how we talked about, that just seem to be thrown in with no explanation and no clarification at any point like the tunnel for me is the the best example yeah i have no idea what purpose that served <laughs> or why or why it was there but i don't know it was just a weird thing that happened and then the movie kept going yeah so i don't know i really enjoyed it i thought kind of like how we talked about that it took a while for it to get going i thought it took it took longer than i would have liked for charlie to finally get the fifth ticket yeah there's just a lot of like starts and stops with that, and I would, and I think it would have been cooler to have more time in the factory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, I thought I really enjoyed Gene Wilder's performance. I love that end scene when he when he gets angry and and then has the turnaround of that. Like I thought that was just brilliant. So I would give it. I would probably give it like a. I'd probably be in like the eighty percent range. Yeah. You know, if I was to give it a Rotten Tomatoes rating, especially for like an older movie, it still holds up. Being 50 years old, it still holds up so well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's probably, you know, a compliment to the writing itself. Because mm-hmm. even reading the two books back to back with my kids, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is definitely a very good read. So right. I wouldn't sit down and read it for myself, but I I liked reading it to my kids. Whereas Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator was a bit of a slog, I'll tell you. It was kind of rough narratively. It made far less sense. And 
there were a couple of questionable moments in there because I remember the line savage Indians and it brought me to a halt <laughs> it, while I was reading it to my kids because I'm like, I can't say that to my kids. And then I'm going through my head trying to think of what I can replace this with. But the first book was a a good read and it holds up and it makes a good movie. Yeah. <clears throat> well, there we go. That's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And that's our show for this week. Oh boy, a big, huge thank you to our guest for this week, Frank Driscoll. Frank, give everyone the rundown. How can they find you? Where can they listen to your dulcet tones on your own podcast? Well, uh, as mentioned at the top, uh, Frankfully Honest is the name of my uh, program. I personally don't promote it as a uh, podcast, but more as an audio blog. But I'll still use the term podcast just to make it easier for people. <laughs> but but yes, I did this exact same um, tagline last time I was on the program. It's a short show, so if you don't like it, don't worry. It's going to be over soon. But uh, <laughs> over the past few weeks, I've gotten more into uh, not like stuff that's going on in the world, but more like stuff that's going on with me. Like uh, how I started binge watching Frasier and how I really got into pro wrestling over the pandemic. And as, as much as that might bore people, I think I think it gives what I have to say a bit more meaning because it's more personal and it's more passionate. And I will say this. Uh, I'm currently in the development stages of joining the production game of okay. podcasts. I'm just going to put that out there. Okay. So there we go. We'll update people when when that comes to fruition. But thank you for joining us. As always, we love having you, Frank. Uh, I love being here. I, I, I had... I always have so much fun when, when I'm on this show. And I, I love talking to the both of you about movies. I just love it. And I'm very, I would love to come back again a third time. Yeah. I just <laughs> thank you again. Uh, we'll see. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, okay then. All right. I don't know if we can tolerate you any longer. <laughs> <laughs> If you like that show, one thing you can do to really help us out on the business end is, well, just go and tell your friends. As our listeners know, we are the official rival podcast of Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, so we need you all to tell people to listen to our show so that we can get our numbers up so we can rise up and crush Conan O'Brien. And another way you can do this is go to whatever app it is you listen to your podcast on and give us five stars. doesn't matter what you say in the reviews, but it's as long as you give us those five stars... It just helps drive us up the charts, helps us get noticed, so we can overtake Conan O'Brien. That's right, and be sure to check out our website, www.iselectthisone.com. There you can find links to all of our podcast episodes, including Blade, which was the last time Frank was on our show. You can also find links to all our social media. We have Instagram, we have Twitter, we have Facebook. Go on there, give us some likes, give us some comments, give us some shares. Send us an email at one, all one word, at gmail.com. And let us know what movie you used to like, and then maybe you'll find us talking about it on the show. And if you would like to be a producer of the show and donate to us, help us monetize I Used to Like This One, you can go to patreon.com slash I Used to Like This One, become part of our Patreon community, and maybe get a shout out on the show like executive producer Josh Blum. I Used to Like This One is created by, hosted by, and produced by Sean Wells and Colin Stewart. It is edited by Sean Wells, music by Lyndon Carter. Look for his band Carter in the Capitals anywhere you listen to music. Thank you for listening. And join us next week when we take a look at another movie on I used to like this one. <laughs>